you have your Bibles, let's open them up. Uh, Luke uh, chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We are working our way uh, through the opening chapters of uh, the Gospel of Luke, and we've really uh, explored some incredible mercies that God gives us as he sends two people into our story. Uh, the, uh, now, they're, they're two significant people, but they're not equally significant. And uh, in fact, uh, the first one is um, John the Baptist, and he is by far second to, to Jesus, uh, who we've been walking with. In fact, uh, Luke starts his synoptic gospels uh, really uniquely, considering the way the other gospels start, because he he begins with the birth of, of two children. And, and we've intentionally tried not to rush this journey because it is, it is so important that we would understand why God sends Jesus in the way that he does. Uh, in fact, his mercy, uh, really by sending us a Savior, is a, is a testament of his love for us. And, and Jesus had always been the plan. We, we keep trying to express this, that, that Jesus is not like some sort of plan 2.0, as if God would, was looking at what was happening on the earth, and he's like, well, we got to come up with a new plan, guys. Anybody have any ideas? That, that all along in the story of God, Jesus has been the plan for our redemption. And, and in the exact moment, in the exact city, in the exact circumstances, God has ordained the light of Jesus breaks through the darkness of man's story, and we have never been the same since. And, and so what, what Luke does, different again from the other Gospels, is he gives us some scenes of uh, Jesus' childhood. And uh, so this morning we're going to see uh, Jesus go, hey buddy, how are we? We good? We're just hanging out? That's cool. Um, this is a good reminder to, inter- to intervene to this point. Uh, I'm so glad this is happening, in fact. Uh, February 7th, okay, no joke, we're going to have nursery uh, for Merge Kids. And I'm not making this up. Some are like, oh, we're just now coming up with stuff? No, for reals, all right? We're going to have nursery downstairs, and we're going to have uh, Merge Kids stuff upstairs. That's happening February 7th. And so we'll get you more details about that. Thank you, sir. Um, so here we go, all right, back here. So, so, so this morning we get to see Jesus go from an eight-day-old uh, baby to a twelve-year-old boy, and then by the time we see Jesus again in the following week, uh, he'll be a uh, around thirty years old. But, but what we get to celebrate today in verses twenty-one through fifty-two is really just a mercy, uh, and it's a glory that's being revealed through this child who has been born to be our Lord and and our Savior, and so. So as we travel together, we're going to uh, see the glory of God revealed in many ways. But to help us kind of get on the same road, we're going to we're going to talk about four. We're going to focus on four areas as a means of of revelation. Okay, and the first one that we're going to begin with uh, in verse twenty one is is we get to see in these verses a revealed name, like we got to just sing together. These words that there is no other name than the name that is Jesus, okay? And in these verses, we're going to get to see why that is incredibly significant to us. So let's start uh, in verse 21, since we ended on 20 last week. At the end of eight days, 
Okay, remember, we had this really odd-fitting week last week because we celebrated the birth of baby Jesus about three weeks after Christmas. Uh, So at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus. Now, if you'd like to underline your Bible, here's a phrase for you to underline that I think will be really helpful. He was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And, And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him, being Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called, okay, so let's let's underline these words, shall be called holy to the Lord and offer a sacrifice according to the law, uh, to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and a partridge in a pear tree or two young pigeons, okay? Let's, Let's not all act like when I said two turtle doves, you all weren't singing, okay? All right, you're welcome. All right, so, so although although these these four verses are going to largely set up uh, the next ten, there there is so much to learn regarding Jesus, and then there's so much to learn regarding the righteous model of his parents because each step they take, okay, uh, at the end of eight days, and then when the time of their purification came, uh, they put on display this deep desire to honor God with their life. Uh, in fact. Uh, they show their righteousness, firstly, by obeying what the angel has told them when it comes to naming their child, Jesus. In fact, if you'll remember, in Luke, the angel visits Mary and tells her, you're going to have a son and you're going to name him Jesus. Uh, in Matthew, uh, we get uh, this beautiful scene where Joseph is is kind of caught in a difficult circumstance uh, because here his betrothed wife is pregnant with child and and it says because he was a righteous man he wanted to kind of divorce her secretly and then an angel visits him and says no everything's cool bro um you're going to have this child and then you're going to name him jesus and then as we were like well what does jesus mean what he tells us is because he will save his people from their sins and so this name is incredibly significant translates out to savior so so they c- could you imagine just for a moment if mary and joseph had named him something else other than what the angel tells him right how could uh how could they continue to teach jesus to honor the lord if they refused to honor god themselves but because they they obeyed god in naming jesus every time every time They called out their son's name. The very name itself is a reminder of of their following the Lord and the reminder of Jesus' calling to save. Every single time. You were reminded of the goodness of God. You were reminded of the circumstances that God created to put Jesus where he put him at the exact time to save his people. And then I think secondly, uh, Mary and Joseph, they kind of show their righteousness by obeying the law of God. Not to get us too deep into this, but but in verses 21 through 24, um, they're rooted in Mosaic law. In fact, Leviticus chapter 12 gave them very specific instructions and a very specific timeline for for regaining purity after the birth of the child. And, and so Joseph and Mary are following 
these commands exactly, exactly the way the Lord required. So we're going to ask the question in this section, what's being revealed about Jesus's name here? And it's, it's pretty self-explanatory uh, that he is set apart. So so when the Levitical law says that that the child shall be uh deemed as holy he is set apart so he is set apart to be our savior and that's why when we sing to him those words mean something that's why when we pray in his name those words mean something it means means when when we see what god is doing in our lives it means something because jesus's name means something and the power of his name is incredible so in verse 21, his name is revealed in that, that he is Jesus and he will save his people from their sins. And in verse 23, we are reminded that he shall be called holy to the Lord. And this child is set apart for great purpose. And we, again, we walk through this slowly because it is so important. If we don't understand his sending, we won't understand what he is doing. Specifically in the Gospels, but then more importantly later on as we ask him to be Lord and Savior of our lives, for example. And so we can, we can read the entirety of the Bible this morning uh, to, to better know uh, more fully the purpose, what that purpose is. But this morning we're going to, again, narrow our focus, and, and we're going to start in verse 25 because that's what is revealed to us next. We get a revealed purpose. Verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting, okay, and I need you to underline these words, for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up, Simeon, took Jesus up in his arms, and he blessed God, and he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Verse 33. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And that's ultimately what happens. Our hearts are exposed to Jesus. And, and now, I don't, I don't know Simeon, but I'm so happy for him. I'm so incredibly happy for him. I mean, here's a man who loves God, who follows God, and it says he's, he's waiting for the consolation of, of Israel, which that word translates, the consolation of Israel, translates to he's waiting for the comfort of Israel, the, the hope that God would come to rescue and comfort his people, that he believed God's word of promise, and he had this rare gift 
uh, for this period of history in that, that he is filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he's controlled, so he's controlled by God, and he's empowered to serve, and he's living under this, this personal promise that, that I am sure people in his family looked at him and said, that's crazy. But he says, no, God met with me, and God told me that I'm not dying until I get to see the Messiah. I'm not dying. And so, so imagine this old man's elation that, that he's at home and he's carrying on his day. And then unexpectedly, he feels this strong urging and leading to go to the temple. And, and as he begins to get closer to the temple, something inside him begins to stir. Okay, Because remember, when, when John the Baptist was in the womb of Elizabeth, who is he is filled with the Holy Spirit, just, just Mary's walking in and baby Jesus is a fetus. John the Baptist leaps for joy in the womb. So imagine as he's walking into the temple, just the excitement that grows, and he enters, and he sees this child in his parents' arms, and he knew. He just knew. This was the long-awaited comfort of Israel. This is the promised Savior. And then... I don't, I don't know how it plays out. He just takes the baby in his arms. I don't know if you've ever tried that, just to take a baby as a stranger, you know. But apparently Mary's super cool about it. And Simeon first, he blesses God for keeping the promise to let him see the Messiah. And he essentially says, I can die a happy man. My cup, it overflows. I can, I can die a happy man. And then out of those words of, Praise. He helps us more clearly understand the purpose of Jesus' arrival in verses 30 and 32. He says, says, For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentile and for glory to your people Israel. And so, so the question is, what's being revealed about this purpose, right? What's being revealed is that everyone will see his light. And his people will greatly benefit from it. Everyone will see his light and his people will greatly benefit. And I think this is, this is the truth of God playing itself out even through today, right? That the presence of Jesus is undeniable. And one day, all nations and all people will understand this truth. One day. In fact, let's just start. I'm going to take you down just an incredible road. Uh, Philippians chapter 2. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read it to you very fastly. So put on your quick listening ears, all right? So, so have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not grasp, uh, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So this is what Jesus does. He comes in and he doesn't walk in as a king saying, hey, everybody, look how great I am, even though he is great. But he takes the form of a servant and he says, I'm the shepherd who lays down my life for my wolves. So he says this in verse 9. Therefore, okay, this is what happens as a result of, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him, okay, listen to this, the name that is above every name, 
so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God, the Father. Okay, let's let that take us to Romans chapter 14, where in verse 10 it says, Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. So then each one of us will give an account to God himself. Let's let that take us to Isaiah 45. By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness, a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Let's let that take us to, to Revelation 15 as the, the seven angels sing. Everybody, I just said Revelation. Everybody's like, oh no. All right, listen to what happens here. Okay, And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. And then lastly, let us take that to Psalm 86. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and you do wondrous things. You alone are God. So all, all this to say, all this to say, there is nothing more glorious than beholding the splendor of Jesus. Nothing. And you may be tempted in your sinfulness to say, I don't know. I don't know. There, there are some splendor-filled things in my world. They all pale. They all pale. They, they cannot compete to beholding the splendor of Jesus. All nations will come to him for light and for life. The comfort of Israel is also the light of the world. And the baby will bring the light and the glory of salvation, not only to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. And that's great news for us. He is to be the Savior of the world, all nations. But Simeon's not finished, right? Because the gladness of verses 31 and 32 come also with some hints of sorrow from verses 34 and 35. The old man turns his eyes to his parents, and, and Simon will, will bless them with some strange words because this child will be a light, but he will be the kind of light that exposes. That because he exposes, he will face opposition, and the opposition will be violent, and it will be piercing, and, and Jesus will do this, though, for the glory of God and for the benefit of us. And so be God, be, because God knows us, he sees us. And he sees our, our sin, and he sends us a Savior in Jesus. And Jesus is a Savior that you either love or you hate. You really can't have just the, uh, like, nah, I could take him or leave him kind of response. Either your life submits to his calling or it, or it tries to rebel against it. 
And so so the cross says that he loves you and our unbelief and our sin says that we hate him. But but repentance and faith say that we love him and and for our hate, which uh, we deserve, we receive death. But for our love, which we don't deserve, we receive life, which leads us to ask, how should we respond to this news? How how do we respond that though I am a sinner, yet God loves me in Jesus? And again, we could take the entirety of the word this morning, or we can narrow our focus and just simply go to verse 36, where we see a revealed response. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of um, that guy, uh, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. So here's what it means that she loved God for a long time. Okay. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him. Okay. Circle these next two words to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And so so at a glance, Anna's mention in these verses are interesting because like Simeon, uh, we don't hear about him again. Like, like in all of the entirety of the Bible, we don't hear about these people. They have like, like eight verses, but yet God seems it fit to put them in to teach us something. I think that's incredible. What an honor to have just four verses, right? And so, so what was that, Matt? Yeah, thanks a lot, Matt. You ruined it. You ruined 2021, bro. Um, there you go. So, so here, here's our question. What is the proper response to seeing Jesus? Because Anna gives it to us. She does two things. She thanks God, and then she tells others. And you say, hey, that seems so simplistic. Maybe you should church it up so that we can make it complicated so that we don't do it. And here's what's happening. Anna walks in, she sees Jesus, she thanks God, and then she starts to tell people about it. And I think this is it's, it's, it's beautiful because here we have this, this devout woman who serves as a prophetess, who worships and fasts and prays, who is teaching us 2,000 years later how to respond to Jesus. That, that, that it's an incredible testimony. Hear me when I say this. What an incredible testimony our lives would be or will be if at the end of our days, when people are speaking about the moments that we shared with them, they would be able to simply say they loved God and they told people about that love. Not, not so much that somebody, and understand this happens and it's, it's, it's a tragedy, such a tragedy. That someone's asked to give a few words at your funeral as words of remembrance. And the number of times that I've been bored, and I'm sorry, this happened at a funeral that I officiated with one of your relatives, I'm sorry. But I'm talking about another funeral, different altogether. But the number of times that we talk about memories of things that don't matter at all. If you're a believer, at the end of your days, if someone stands up to give a testimony of your life, and all they talk about is how much you love football, 
or how much you loved fishing or how cranky you were because you didn't have your coffee in the morning. It's a tragedy. And not only a tragedy, it's a shameful one. Because we've been redeemed and rescued for so much more. But, but what, if, what if when people spoke about your life, they talked about your love for God and your desire for other people to know, what, what would happen as worship broke out at your funeral? Because even in death, people hear about a God who loved you so much that he was the anthem of your life. Do you realize you were not simply born to be somebody? You were born to know somebody. And this anthem continues as we look at verses 30, 39, and we see a revealed son. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and, and it says this about Jesus. It's going to say it twice about him in these verses. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Verse 41, now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover, or the Passover. Okay, we're going to find as we walk with Jesus, and really when we walked with him in, in Matthew, it was significant. When we walked with him in, in John, it was significant. Every time the Feast of Passover happened, it, significant things were, were playing themselves out. But he says that, that every year uh, his parents went to Jerusalem at the Feast of the Passover, and when he was 12 years old, okay, so as we're watching this on the screen, we had baby Jesus, and all of a sudden, it says 12 years later, okay? So, so when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom, and when they, uh, when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, and his parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, uh, they, they went a day's journey, but, but then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. Like, you know you're in bad shape when you're like, hey, I've seen you before. You see my boy? And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. And now this is, this is your classic, right, home alone situation, right? Or Joe Dirt at the Grand Canyon situation where just all of a sudden parents are gone. And... I mean, who hasn't, right? Who hasn't misplaced their kids on a caravan, right? I mean, surely you have. Uh, so they go back and they look for Jesus, verse 46. And after three days, okay, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Like, this is a 12-year-old unlike any other 12-year-old. Like, you realize that that any age that Jesus is, he is unlike any other in that age. And when his parents saw him, dun, 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 right? They were astonished. And his mother said to him, all right, come on, we can, we can start wrapping this up. I want you to pay 
really close attention to this exchange because this reveals something powerful about how Jesus understood his purpose even at 12 years old, okay? So, so Mary walks in, sees Jesus, listens for a moment, and then finally she's going to speak to him, and she says this, and I'd like you to circle this word, son, okay? Why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress, and, and he, being Jesus, said to them, says, why are you looking for me? Isn't that a typical, like, 12-year-old response? Yeah, yeah. Finley's like, oh, I know that too well, right? He says, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be? And then I'll circle these next three words. Sorry, four words. In my father's house. Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. This is what I love about this, this what Luke points out. That Jesus Christ, the long-awaited Savior, who knows that he must be in his father's house, looks at Mary and Joseph and all their failings, but in their, still at the same time, their devotion to God. And he says, I will be submissive to you because the word of God says, honor your father and your mother. And though he is the creator of all things and all things were made through him, he still chooses to submit to the word of God. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And then again, verse 52, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in the favor of God. So let's quickly come back to these two phrases. Mary comes in like a mama bear and she says, son. Okay, she takes ownership of Jesus. She says, we've been so worried about you. And Jesus' response is beautiful because he says, don't you know I'm, I must be in my father's house? My father. He says, my, my father. Now, here's the thing. The religious people didn't refer to God as father. They didn't do it. And this is in part what Jesus comes in to do. He will look at a people who were so lost in dogmatic religion that there was no relationship, that everything about God became appeasing and angry God or, or buying off God so that you could do whatever you want to do. And Jesus will come in and he will say words like, my father, and the religious will just be livid about it. They'll say, that's blasphemy. But he comes in to teach us something valuable about God's heart for us. So where religion wants to make wants to make it between God and people, the gospel comes in and wants us to understand this relationship is a father and a child, but not just an earthly father, a perfect and a heavenly father. So all of the promises that he gives us are secure to him. So, so what's being revealed? I'm going to give it to you really quickly. What's being revealed when Jesus says, my father's house, number one is his role as God's son. Okay? Like at 12 years old, Jesus understands this, and he refers to himself as, as God's son. And we're going to see Jesus do this often more in this gospel, that he will clarify for people who don't understand 
the depth of God's love and we're trapped behind a wall of religion, he will consistently come in and remind us who God is like and what his heart is like. And, and, and he will do it by reminding us that he's been sent by the Father as his son, his one and only son. And then secondly, when God said, when Jesus refers to my father's house, He's going to teach us that God about God's offer to love us as his children. So there's, there's four revelations, right? We have a revealed name and that Jesus is the one who takes away the sins of his people. We have a revealed purpose. Everyone will see the light and his people will greatly benefit. We have a revealed response, right? That we would thank God and we would tell others. And then we have a revealed son who extends to us the father's offer of intimacy. And do you realize there is nothing, there is not a circumstance and there is not a situation in your life that will keep you from intimacy with God the Father. There is nothing. Paul will break out in worship in Romans and he'll, he'll say, there's, there's, there's nothing that can separate me from the love of Jesus Christ. There's nothing. Not height, not depth, not principalities of darkness. There is nothing that can separate me. So we're going to do another in prayer. So we're about to sing. There's no other name but the name that is Jesus. No other name but the name that is Jesus. And my heart pleads with you that at times you would just get out of your own way. And you would get to see him as the word presents him, as your only lasting hope. I'm so grateful. Earlier this week, I was struggling big time with what is the, what are these 30 verses? What is this? What do, what do we do with this? And God was so gracious. He said, let's, let's talk about what's being put on display here. And if that shouldn't be a testimony of our lives, I don't know what is. We get to put on display the glory of God as we respond to who Jesus is. Our desire this week is to love God. Bye. Please stand with me. As we wrap up and make a couple things available to you. If you need prayer, we want to pray with you. We don't believe you should be walking in life by yourself. We want to gather around you. We want to walk with you. If you've never asked Jesus into your heart, we, we would love to answer your questions. But more than that, we'd love to pray and help you get that journey started. I love you guys. Let's, let's pray. Father, thank you for your love and thank you for your mercy and thank you for your kindness and thank you for your word this morning that we get to respond to your goodness. We thank you that you sent your son to rescue and to redeem us. I pray that we would Just continue to step deeper and deeper and deeper 
into this love that you're lavishing into us. In Jesus' name we pray. There's often times where we prioritize things that we pray about. I want to challenge you right now if there's something, anything on your heart that, yes, I need to take this to him. I need to pray over this. There's going to be some people on the side. Um, please don't leave here without doing that. We tend humanity to say, well, I don't know if I want to pray over that with somebody else. I challenge you to leave that mindset, to be able to enter into a time of prayer with this community, just pursuing God, what's next? How do you want me to do this? How do I walk this path? So if that's on your heart right now, if there's anything there, don't leave this place without taking an opportunity to pray with somebody. Hope you guys have a blessed week. You're dismissed.